Well, good morning, church. It is good to be back with you again. Uh, I was just with you a couple months ago, so I won't, uh, won't repeat everything that I said the last time, but it is, uh, it is a joy and a pl- uh, privilege to be able to uh, bring God's word to you this morning. In just a moment, I'll have you, uh, have you open up, and I'll tell you where in a moment, but um, I just want to start by asking you a question. And the question is this, have you ever maybe accidentally asked a question that you kind of later realized was, was maybe inappropriate, maybe culturally inappropriate? Um, one time, uh, we, when, we first, uh, when I first finished seminary and uh, started ministering where I am right now, we moved into an apartment in the city of Fremont in a large apartment complex, and in that large apartment complex, we had a significant population of uh, people from a different ethnic group, from a different country that were uh, there on a certain kind of visa doing uh, tech work. And as I uh, landed in that place, something that was really important to us as a family was to figure out how it was that we would be able to reach out to this, uh, this different um, culture. And, and, and we didn't know. But it, this, this particular culture, we knew this, was primarily Hindu. But what we didn't understand was how to operate within that culture. And because of this apartment complex was probably about 90% uh, Indian, um, it, was, it, was, it very much felt like landing in a place that was different than what I was used to in America. And so uh, as we engaged with our neighbors, we're like, you know what? These people, they're Hindu. Maybe they'd be interested in just exploring Christianity. So we decided to have a, um, a group, a small group in our home that was kind of an exploring Christianity group. At least that was our plan. And here was the, the question that ultimately ended up proving to be inappropriate. I would ask people, hey, would you, would you be willing to come to this thing? And I was asking for a yes or no answer. I wanted a yes, I will be there, or a no, I will not be there. But I didn't realize that in that particular culture, it is very rude to tell someone no. You don't say no, I won't come. That's, that would be offensive. And, and so an inappropriate question on my part would be, I need a yes or no, tell me. So in that culture, if you were to ask someone, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? The way that you say no is, I would love to come over to dinner. I do have this one thing on that day that I have, and so, so hopefully I can get out of it, and I think I'll be able to be there. That means no. Okay, that means no. Well, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, realize, I didn't realize that. And so we asked a lot of people, I don't know how many, but there were a number of people that we asked, and we're like, reflecting on it right before we're supposed to have this event, we're like, did anyone ever actually say, yes, I'll be there? No? Well, I wonder how many we'll have. And so the day comes, then we eventually go to bed. No one ever showed up. And, and that was okay. That apparently wasn't the way to reach out to that neighborhood. And we had other ways that we did it. But, but what I didn't realize is that a question that I was asking was, was inappropriate. Uh, today we're going to be in the book of Philemon, and that is a small book in, in your New Testament, so if you need to turn to the table of contents to find it, that's okay, I have to forgive you, I'll give you time to find it. Um, we're we're going to be in the book of Philemon right after 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, um, 
and, uh, and we will, in a moment, I'm going to read, and I'm going to read the whole book. Um, it's only 25 verses, so don't fear. That won't be uh, uh, a very large gr- uh, chunk of verses, but, but we're going to read the whole book, and then, and then we're going we're gonna to look in this book at a question that the Apostle Paul asks to a man named Philemon, and Paul asks a culturally inappropriate question, but even though he asks the question, he doesn't seem to flinch about it. In fact, he asks it anyway, kind of full well knowing that it's inappropriate. And I lay all that groundwork, I use that opening illustration to point out that when we come to Philemon, we tend to not approach it as, as shocking as it might have been for Philemon perhaps to have received this letter, for Paul to take the particular approach that he takes, um, and, and the radical expectations that Paul places on this man named Philemon and, and the church that is in his house and so forth. So I'm going to go ahead and start by reading the book of Philemon to us and follow along with that, and, we will, uh, and, and then we'll dig into it. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience, 
I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we thank you this morning for bringing us together here. We thank you for the letter that Paul wrote to uh, Philemon. We thank you that, that he was bold enough to uh, write this request to Philemon and, 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 and that you have preserved it in your word, that you inspired that word to us, and that through a, a study of Philemon, we can see a way in which we are to live completely different from the world around us, radically different, Lord. And I just ask that as Paul makes this, what I've called, inappropriate request to Philemon, Lord, that we realize that in Christ it's actually completely appropriate. In fact, it is the expectation that we would live in this way, Lord. Help us to see that, help us to believe that, and help us to live that. Uh, And we just ask that you would bless this time that you would use it for the growing of your people. Speak through me truth, Lord, and keep me from speaking any kind of error. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this book of Philemon is fairly uh, fairly well known, but I just want to start by, by evaluating a little bit right at the beginning of the greeting. Now, don't worry, I will not be working through all of the verses here. There's, there's too much. In fact, uh, we are considering at our own church doing a series on the book of Philemon that will last several weeks. So even though it's 25 verses, it's a rich book and there is much there. But today we're just going to kind of do this uh, kind of an overview. And in the greeting, Paul addresses as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He's saying, hey, I'm, uh, I'm in jail right now or probably more likely under some kind of house arrest, but He is in bonds for the gospel. He is in bonds for Christ, and he's with Timothy, and he is writing to Philemon. Philemon is a man who lives in the city of Colossae. Colossae uh, is the city whose church the letter of Colossians was written to. And in fact, the letter to Colossians, if you look at Colossians, uh, the letter carrier was carrying both that letter and this letter at the same time. Um, And so this letter is brought and delivered to Philemon, this man who is there in that city. It's also uh, addressed to to two other individuals, presumably individuals who would be in Philemon's household or uh, other leaders within the church. We don't know Philemon's specific role within the church. Was he a pastor? Was he a deacon? Was he an active member? We don't know. But what we do know, the other observation that you can see in verse 2, is that the church that was in Galassi met in his house. And and so that gives us a clue into Philemon's status. You see, the houses in um, the first century were not big. Um, and, And yes, they did not have church buildings like we have today. We are very blessed to have large spaces to meet in. But certainly the churches would choose to meet in whoever had the biggest house. And uh, Philemon certainly must have had a large enough house for this church in Colossae to meet in. 
Uh, he seemed to be of the, of the merchant class and, um, and was well off enough to um, have a servant or a, and I'll use this word, slave um, in his household named Onesimus. And that's who this letter is about, and we'll look at that in just a moment. So uh, the observations that we make right now is, is recognizing here in the opening that Philemon is a wealthy man who is, uh, he has resources, and uh, particularly he has this, um, he had the slave at least. And so uh, look with me at verse 6. Verse 6 says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith. Now, I'm going to, some of you may have different versions there, but uh, sharing of your faith, um, that word there, sharing, is a key word. Another translation says it, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I don't, I don't like to talk about Greek a lot, but that word is a very common uh, word that as Christians, if you read uh, Christian books um, or if you hear Christian preaching, you might be familiar with the Greek word koinonia. Uh, Koinonia uh, is a word that has to do with having things in common. It comes from koinos, which means common, as in a common purse. Um, Most of the time in scripture when we see koinonia koinonia translated, it's most often translated as fellowship. We tend to take fellowship as a church and we apply that to, you know, oh, we're going to have fellowship after church. If you know what a fellowship after church is, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm assuming you know what that means. It's where we go and we eat and we just have a good time. I'm going to suggest to you that that is not this. In fact, when Paul here in verse 6 is saying, I, 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 I'm going to pray that your partnership in this faith, that your partnership in the gospel, that it's going to become effective, that this partnership is something far deeper than just getting a meal together. Though getting a meal together can be conducive to developing the kind of fellowship, the kind of gospel partnership that is being referred to here. I just want to emphasize this point because it is a, it is a important theme throughout the book of Philemon. And so both today and the rest of the sermon, and then as you go through and perhaps go home and study the book of Philemon, this concept of koinonia is crucial to understand. In fact, I want to read a definition from a theological word book for you. This is a book that as pastors we sometimes use to help us understand more fully what the original language word meant. So listen to this definition. So uh, it can be translated fellowship, communion, sharing, or participation. It is a term that conveys a sense of commonality, solidarity, and shared responsibility among households or individuals. The most general sense of this term refers to a shared conviction that maintains itself as mutual responsibility and status. Most often, koinonia refers to the sharing of resources, monetary or otherwise. For example, in Romans 15, 26, Christian assemblies in Macedonia and Achaia 
make a donation. The word their donation is the word koinonia. So we, wouldn't, we don't often think about that, but that is one way in which we partner together in the gospel is by giving. So that word translated donation is this word fellowship. Uh, that, that, that group, that Christian, the Christian, those Christian assemblies made a donation for the poor in Jerusalem. In, the, in this text, the term koinonia reflects the willingness of the assemblies to share their resources as a way of expressing solidarity with and responsibility for the saints in Jerusalem. Those who, chose, those who chose to willingly engage in mutual responsibility are described as having partnership or koinonia with the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The, um, I'll, I'll stop reading the definition there, but in short, we can say this, and this is how we're going to talk about this term koinonia or this term fellowship. It is a sharing and mutual participation particularly in the ministry of the gospel. And so Paul is able to have partnership, he's able to have koinonia, that kind of fellowship with people, even when he's not in the same place. In this case, Paul is having and asking for the fellowship or the partnership of Philemon in carrying out this request. And so I want to emphasize this, that, that, that this concept of fellowship as it appears in scripture is not just a a idea or it's not just a um something that happens casually and by accident it is something that you do it is something that is a call to action whether that be uh like the one example a a participation in the gospel by giving of resources or giving of time or giving of energy or a partnership in in, in action, it is something that you do. And, it is, and so it's going to bring us to this, and I'm going to tell you what I see as the major theme of the book of Philemon as we take and try to understand what it is that Paul is calling on Philemon to do with regard, regarding the slave named Onesimus. As we take that and apply it to us, it, we see this, and this is going to be the major theme. That gospel partnership moves us to live in a culturally radical way. Um, you could call that counterculturally, or in a way that when the world sees how we live, it does not make sense to them. It does not add up to them. They look at it and they say, "Why would you do that?" And I would say, "We would say, well, we do that because of the." fellowship we have with Christ and the fellowship that we have with one another because fellowship is far more than just sitting down and having a meal together but fellowship is that deep mutual shared mission and value and relationship that we have in Christ I want to pause here in, in the sermon, just for a moment to address something that uh, I think it's important to just briefly address when you talk about the book of Philemon. We just read the whole letter. Um, we, just, we just read the whole letter. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you this kind of summary, because as I want to give an overview, because 
this civilization that this book was written in is not our civilization. It's a civilization of 2,000 years ago. Philemon was a wealthy merchant who, like all merchants of his day, owned slaves. Uh, now, the Roman system of slavery was far different from the racial slavery in our own country's past. And I am not going to take time to either try to justify or condemn the Roman system of slavery. I'm not telling you Rome was good or Rome was bad and the way they did slavery. And the, the fact is, that's not the point of what Paul is writing about. Um, so I'm not going to endeavor to do that, and I'm not going to talk about... Um, and I'm not going to talk about um, the American system of slavery other than to just say this, that you should, not, you should be careful not to judge what's going on in the book of Philemon uh, with regard to Philemon and his slave Onesimus. You should, not, you should be careful not to judge that based on uh, the concept of American slavery because what was the system that they had was significantly different. Instead, I want you to recognize that Paul's point in this letter here is not to condemn slavery, but to make a radical request of Philemon based on the partnership that they have in Christ. This radical request goes counter to societal norms, and while not considered immoral, it would have certainly been the talk of the town. And so this story involves Philemon's slave, who I've already named Onesimus. And we don't have all the details. We don't know exactly what happened. But what we do know is that Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way, most likely simply by running away. It's possible he stole something from him and ran away um, or did some other kind of damage. But Onesimus, one way or another, had left without permission and that was a criminal offense, okay? This is a big deal. Onesimus, choosing to take this action, has placed himself as a fugitive. And, uh, and so, so that, is, that is the background to this story. And so where, what happened, what went on to happen, is that somehow, and I'm going to propose that it was most likely intentional, but somehow Onesimus, the slave, meets up with Paul, He's over a thousand miles away from Colossae where Paul is. And, and so either God miraculously worked it out so that Onesimus just happened to run into Paul or Onesimus more likely just sought Paul out. Um, and the reason why I would believe that Onesimus would seek Paul out is because Onesimus perhaps had grown tired of being a fugitive. Perhaps he did not want to be on the run. Perhaps he wanted to be able to settle his debts. And he sought out Paul to say, you know, to, to go to Paul and see if Paul could help him because Onesimus had been a slave in Philemon's house and so probably had interacted with Paul in the past. Uh, probably had said, hey, you know, Paul was a nice guy. You know, he was here. Perhaps... He, I, being a really good friend with, with my, my former master, perhaps he could put in a good word for me. I don't know, but I need to clear my name or settle my debt or whatever it may be. So for whatever the circumstance is, for whatever the reason is, Onesimus approaches Paul. And, uh, and, and, and so 
perhaps the conversation would go something like this. Hey, Paul, I don't know if you remember me, but I was in, I was, I was a slave in Philemon's house the last time you were there when you were making that church, and um, I ran away. I did some really, really not very smart things, and I'm in trouble. Is there any way you could maybe, you know, put in a good word for me, and maybe he won't throw me in prison and bring down the hammer on me? Maybe I could, maybe uh, some, something else could happen. But what ultimately ends up happening is Paul sees Onesimus, he talks to Onesimus, and he shares with him the gospel, and miraculously, through the, which every time this happens, it's miraculous. Every time this happens, it is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing someone that was spiritually dead to life and regenerates and gives life through the gospel. But Paul shares with Onesimus the good news of Jesus, the fact that he could have eternal life, that he can have saving faith, and Onesimus repents and turns in saving faith and believes. And so now Onesimus, who was previously a, uh, word, the word that Paul uses, useless, he was previously a useless slave, is now of great value and is now a brother. And perhaps, who knows how long, but for a period of time, it seems as you read Philemon, for a period of time, Onesimus stayed with Paul and served Paul and helped Paul. And so Paul is writing a letter to Philemon, and here is the inappropriate question. He says, hey, Philemon, and you know, I, I'm obviously summarizing because you, I just read the whole letter. But he says, hey, you remember your slave Onesimus? I heard he did some really bad things, and he you know, ran away and all that, and you probably uh, rightly, legally have the ability to punish him and, and you know, throw the book at him and do all of these things. But you know what? He's a brother now. He's a fellow Christian, and he's actually useful now. And so I'm going to ask you to, to take him back and welcome him, not as a slave, but as a brother. And my proposal to you is that he'll be more useful to you as a brother than he ever was as a slave, because I know because he's been useful to me. And in fact, as Paul goes on, he even ultimately basically asks him, I'm hoping you send him back to me because I really want him to be useful for me. But if you need to have him there, you can have him there. If he owes you anything, I'll pay for it. But I know you. You're going to send him back. You're not going to make me pay for anything because, let me point out, you actually owe me your life and, you know, I'm the one that brought the gospel to you. So... So I know that he, that, that, that he caused significant financial damage to your portfolio, to your business, all of that. But give him his freedom, let him come back and help me, and send him out as a brother. In fact, greet him like you would greet me if I came. That is a very, very bold request. And I don't think that when we read this book of Philemon, just casually, I don't think we realize how kind of inappropriate that would seem to say, I, I mean, how would it, how would it, how inappropriate would it be to like for someone to come to you and say, hey, you know, I know you've been saving up for a long time, but can you give me like half of your retirement account? Uh, that would really help me set my retirement account ahead. It's like, 
Well, that might not be wrong to ask, but that's very inappropriate to ask, right? It's just weird. And so, so Paul asks this question, and Paul goes so far as to say, hey, I could command you to do it. Uh, Paul, if you read Paul's writings, he oftentimes goes to um, kind of touts his apostolic authority. He, he, he uses that to, 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 to kind of say, hey, I have the authority to say these things. And so Paul says, hey, Philemon, I could command you to do it, and you would be duty-bound to obey. We don't have apostles today. We don't have that level of authority anymore. But Paul is asserting that level of authority, and he says, you, I could tell you what to do, but I know you're going to do it, and I know you're going to even be more generous. You're going to do more. You're probably going to send them back with some money for me or something like that. You're going to help me out. You are going to practice gospel partnership in a radical, countercultural way that speaks to something that the world does not understand. It speaks to the fact that in Christ, we have true fellowship. We have true partnership in the gospel. And so this is, I'm going to, I'm going to make a few kind of applications from this. The first application or, or point of application that I have is this, that gospel partnership, that when we understand it rightly, when we embrace it as we ought to, as we see in this letter, gospel partnership compels us to steward our resources in love. Remember, koinonia fellowship, partnership, sharing, mutual participation. We have here, a in the story, a very well-off man who hosts a church in his house. He already does so much work. I'm going to tell you, we, my family, we host a, what, what our church calls community groups. We have community groups. We, have, we host a community group in our house. And it lasts for a few hours, and, uh, and that's, that's work, but there are hours and hours of work ahead of time, and there's resources expended. We end up buying food. We all kind of share food, but we end up buying the most food. We end up cleaning the house. We end up doing all this work. It's a lot of work. Well, I'm just imagining Philemon and his household hosting a whole church. Now, I don't know how big the church is. I don't know if it was 100 or if it was 10. But I'm telling you, even when my community group is six people, it's a lot of work. And so he's doing this on a regular basis. It seems that the practice of the early church was to meet on a regular, almost daily basis. He is someone who already does so much. And Paul is asking him to do even more. And the truth is, he has this expectation because Philemon has already demonstrated a practice of stewarding his own resources in love for the community. Verses 4 and 5, Paul says to him, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul is thankful because Philemon is an example in love for Jesus and love for others.
in verses 8 and 9, goes on. He says, accordingly. And I already referenced this earlier. Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now prisoner also for Christ Jesus. And then jump all the way down to verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, if you consider me one with whom you have fellowship, this is really strong, gentle and friendly, yet strong language. He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would me. It, it reminds me of, of you, you, uh, you hear this kind of parodied or talked about where, where a, um, someone might say, well, if you really loved me, you would do this for me. And usually that would be a, a, you know, a negative, manipulative type, type relationship. But Paul is saying, hey, if you consider me a partner, do all this, set, set him free, and then just welcome him. I mean, you got to think, how would Philemon have welcomed Paul? Well, he probably would have prepared an extra big meal. He probably would have given him the special guest room. He would have placed him in the place of honor. And here comes this guy who stole from him, who wronged him, who had committed criminal acts against him and his family. And he's saying, welcome him back. You see, gospel partnership calls on us to be generous people. It calls us to be generous with our time, setting aside what we might want to do for what the community as a whole calls on us to do, what the community as a whole needs us to do. It calls us to be generous with our work. We only have so much energy. It, it is right to, to rest and recover when you've had a long day of work. It is right to Sabbath. Um, whether or not the, the Old Testament command to Sabbath is, is specifically a command for us, there is a biblical principle taught in the Sabbath, that, that we are to rest, that we are to, to work and we are to rest, because as humans, we wear out, we wear down, we need rest. That's important. Yet we, ha and so we only have so much work, yet we are called to steward some of our work, some of our energy in love towards one another, in gospel partnership. And we're also called to uh, be generous in our finances. It's one of the ways that that, that, we can, that we can have partnership with one another within a church, that you, as, as a local church here in Hollister, that you can have partnership with each other. And in fact, I would hold these up as, as kind of the, the pillars of what a healthy church looks like. A healthy church is made up of people who practice with one another this true fellowship, this true gospel partnership. It is made up of people who are generous in time, generous with their work, and generous with their finances. So I call on you, Calvary Baptist Church here in Hollister, I call on you to be generous. I call on you to give sacrificially. I call, you, call on you to spend time at church serving, spend time in each other's homes serving each other, work with each other, know each other, uh, be involved in each other's lives, and partner together for the sake of the gospel. 
We so often, and I said this earlier, we so often use the word fellowship lightly. And like I said, fellowship is not just getting together to eat or to talk about the weather, to have small talk, to do these little things. But instead, fellowship is gospel partnership. Jesus was clear as he left this world, as he, as he uh, was preparing to return, he gave a commission. He said to go and to teach the nations, to preach the gospel, to, to bring people to saving faith. That is the mission that we have as a church, that you have, that my church has, that we as a church universal, that we have, is to spread the good news about Jesus. But we don't do that alone. We do that in partnership with each other. And so my encouragement to you as individuals within this church is to make sure that you are participating in all of these ways. I have encountered people that, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't engage with my, with, my, with my time or with my work, but I give money. Well, that's good. But I'm going to say that you need to be engaging with your time, with your energy or work, and with your finances. That, those, all of those are modeled in Philemon. We see that here. And a church that is faithful to the commission that Jesus has given to go and to make disciples of all nations is a church that practices and lives gospel partnership in a way that is self-sacrificing, that truly puts others within the church body above themselves and is faithful to the task to love one another and to love others.